Thank you for listening to the Yippie Market Podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we're talking with Greg Powell of Funbox about product marketing. Greg leads brand and product marketing for Funbox. They're an AI-driven platform on a mission to democratize access to credit and payments for small businesses. Before joining Funbox, Greg held a variety of marketing roles at Intuit on the QuickBook business, including leading the general product marketing team. And prior to Intuit, Greg worked in brand marketing at Colrax. He has an undergraduate degree from Princeton University and an MBA from UCLA. Greg, thrilled to uh, have you on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be talking today about product marketing, a very uh, ethereal area of, of, of marketing, I think. There's a lot of confusion around product marketing for a lot of people. Can you first uh, just kind of give me a general scope of what product marketing is? Yeah, the definition I like to use is my elevator pitch for product marketing is bringing the market to the product and the product to market. And if you unpack that, really what that means is <clears throat> there's sort of two pieces to product marketing. The first is bringing the market to the product. Bringing the market to the product, well, what does that mean? It means understanding who you're serving and their pain, who your competition is, and everything else going on in the marketplace. Bringing that to the product organization so that you can influence what the roadmap looks like so that everyone's clear on who you serve, why you serve them, um, how you serve them, and how you're going to do it uniquely versus the competition. And so kind of embedded in that is, or implied in that, is that marketing has a seat at the table with the product organization, which mm -hmm. doesn't happen at all organizations. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we can come back to that in a minute. The second half of my statement, bringing the, the product to market, is probably what people are more familiar with when they think of product marketing, they think of, Oh yeah, you guys launch stuff. And that's kind of where this comes in that, um, you know, you, you're taking what you've already built. If you've done that first part and done your due, due diligence on who you're serving and aligned with the product organization and shaped the roadmap, then this won't be a problem at all. You're not going to be handed something you know nothing about. You will know right. about it and you will know exactly who you're serving. Uh, you'll know who, how to talk to them. You'll know um, how to go to market. Then, right, so it's, I mean, yeah. you have two words in product market. You got product and you have marketing. And it seems mm -hmm. that it's, it's really kind of the connection between the two. I could imagine a company has, you know, product XYZ and either they're getting ready to launch it. And this is kind of the, the design of how is this product going to be interpreted by marketing? How is it going to be put in front of people? Yeah. Um, you know, what's the over, what, what kind of feeling are we going to attribute to it? Or, you know, what's our, our catchphrase going to be and, and how that connects to the product itself. Is that a good, uh, a yeah. good idea? There? Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think that, that, that calling it the, cause I've heard that definition before the connection between product and marketing uh, can undersell the impact that a product marketer, like a really strong product marketer can have. Right. In that it sounds like you're just a go-between, like relaying information. So you got to take out the word just. It's not just the connection between product and marketing. It's the whole connection between product yeah. and marketing. Like imagine the opposite would be you have a disconnect between your product and your marketing. Oh, well, that's really bad. Totally. And I've seen that happen before where the PM organization has one idea of who the customer is, like fundamental stuff. And the marketing team is off trying to find someone completely different 
to use the product. Of course, when they get the product, they're like, well, what, what is this? This isn't what you told me it was. Fundamental disconnect. So yes, you're right. Um, it, yeah, remove the word just, I think is good. But I, I would say it's also like aligning with the sales organization. When you go to market, it's not just connecting product with marketing. It's also quarterbacking the go-to-market process, which mm-hmm. is beyond marketing. It's also sales and in some cases, biz dev. I mean, kind of the whole foundation to your marketing is that that connection. Otherwise, yeah. you're just marketing some nameless thing. You see commercials sometimes where you're like, okay, yeah. I have no idea what the product is. They didn't show it. All yeah. they did was talk about some feelings. And usually it's, it's part of a product launch where they're laying out the feelings and then they're going to, the next commercial in a couple minutes, will show a little more that, that, that kind of thing. I could yeah. imagine a product where that's all they have is, you know, hey, we're all about this. We're all about that. Here's what you can, you know, expect from our company but you never know what their product or service is. Yes. Uh, that, that would be without, without that product marketing. That's just kind of marketing saying we made a generic template for a campaign, but we yeah. have no, you know, they say don't market the features, but you still have to know what the product does and kind of convey that. You do. You have to yeah. talk about like, especially if you're a young company where people have no prior knowledge of what you do, you need to at least define the category that you're in. Um, and if you're starting up a new category, um, then you need to define what that new category is and what pain you're solving. Right. Because otherwise guess, you're right, it's just a bunch of feelings and it's, it doesn't mean anything to anyone. And then one other area, if your industry is changing a lot, whether it's either a new product launch or there's just a lot of change in your industry and you need to shift your messaging to, you know, in the marketing industry in, in general, there's been so much change in B2B marketing and in recent years, everything's going automated and AI, but at the same time, people are pulling back and they want more personal connection. Mm-hmm. And, they, and so they're trying to automate personal. And it's like, well, if you have a B2B marketing product, um, I was at MarTech just recently, you, you know, what direction are you going to go? You probably need to rethink your product marketing. I, I mean, I guess we're getting quicker into the product marketing than I want to hear, but how often should a company rethink their product marketing and look back and say, are we targeting the right niche? Do we have the right messaging? Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on, I, I think it depends on the category and how quickly it's changing and, <clears throat> and your offering and how new and fresh it is. If it's, delivering on, if it's delivering on a real customer pain point, then, and, and the customers understand that you're solving that pain point, then I don't think there's a problem. Um, you know, and, and you're growing and your company's healthy. I don't think there's a need to do it. I, I, I wouldn't say like, oh, every year you need to do it. Um, but you should always be monitoring what the competition is doing and how that category is changing. And if you find that you're a little bit out of touch or someone's got a more compelling narrative, then you do need to update it. And that can be as often as once a year. Right. And I guess startups are a great example of product marketing. Maybe they don't put the word on it, but they're constantly looking at things. How's, how are people reacting to this? Is this the right audience? Iterate, 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 change the functions, Mm -hmm. change everything constantly. And it's, it seems like they're really in this, in this uh, spin cycle of product marketing um, where they're, they're launching constantly, but never quite fully launched trying to figure mm-hmm. out the product marketing angle. Yeah. I, I would say in those cases, they probably don't have a product marketer working on their team. Um, and they are trying to find that product market fit without a critical ingredient, which is a product marketer. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on the company, product marketing can be one of the critical first hires that you actually make outside of your engineer and your PM um, and designer, because 
you can waste a whole heck of a lot of money if you miss the mark on who you're talking to and what pain you're actually solving. I see this in a lot of companies. They underinvest in marketing or they think of marketing only as performance marketing. And so they, they first hire they make is an SEM person. All right, go get us some customers on Google. Well, that can work for some, for some companies that can work, but I see if, it. If they got lucky and they, they yeah. got it right kind of the first time or something yeah. like that, or the product's unique enough. Or... Exactly. But you can also spend a ton of money or waste a ton of money doing that because that SEM person doesn't actually understand what they're marketing or what pain they're actually solving. Right. And a good product marketer can do that um, and can save the company millions of dollars in the process of getting it right early. Interesting. So startups, I mean, you have your startups where it's like they have funding and a whole team and, and, they, mm -hmm. and they go out and they should definitely have uh, somebody with some strong product marketing skills in there. But a lot of, you know, the traditional garage startup type idea, it seems when you think of the entrepreneurs in history and you think about the way they approach things, the product marketing aspect of it, the understanding the audience and kind of tweaking the product and tweaking your marketing to properly hit them seems to be something that, that those people, it may not be what we think of them as, but first names that come to mind, you just think people like uh, Steve Jobs and, and, and those kind of things. And you think, oh yeah, there's a lot of product marketing that really understanding the customer and adjusting stuff to to solve pain points and, and that kind of stuff. Totally. And that's one where you may not have a person on staff with the title product marketer, but if someone can think that way, then, and someone really understands the importance of solving a problem as opposed to the new technology that is technically interesting. Yeah. Um, does it sound sexy you know. or does it solve a problem? Okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Exactly. There's got to be a high percentage of startups that you know, the idea just sounded sexy and some of them even get funded. I see funded startups sometimes. And it's like, I understand that sounds sexy, but there's a really big problem here. How did yes. it must've sounded sexy to the investor also yes. caught there emotionally, got them involved. And, but yes. the, yeah, the product marketing part a product market will look at it and say, Whoa, this is going to be a waste of time and money. Yes. Yes. I see these. I've seen a bunch of them. Yes, for sure. So what do you, do you think investors should all get a product marketer on their team to uh, analyze their investments first? <laughs> I think a lot of investors, I mean, I think a lot of investors already do think this way. They think about the market, you know, they think about total addressable market and they think about, you know, market sizing. I do think they need to think about, um, uh, yeah. So I think they need to take a step further uh, and really dig into what's behind the data. Like what do people actually want and talk to people it's not just about the size of the opportunity, you know, that age old, <clears throat> that age old comment that people make like, Oh, this is such a big opportunity. If only we could get 1% of it, like we'd be, you know, our company would be super successful. Well, who are those people that, what, who, who are those people in that 1% and why are they going to choose you? Right. I think so it's key, a critical question. The key product marketing thing is identifying what 1% are you going to go after? Not let's hit, yeah. the, let's hit the whole market and then see if 1% comes to us. But all right, identify maybe 2% and try to get one of them or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and be okay. Uh, my advice is often, and we've done this at Funbox, is we will, there are times where we will go, unco we go uncomfortably narrow with who mm -hmm. we define as our customer target. Like, to the point where you're like, well, how many of these people are there? Well, guess what? If you solve their need really, really well, you can add features and you can expand the product to meet adjacent customers' needs. But if you go after that bullseye customer and you nail their need, 
And I'd say Funbox and, and, and other companies have done a really, really good job at this. Like early on, you nail that, you get product market fit, and you have a really nice platform to grow upon from there. Yeah, I remember being in the trenches back in the day, making uh, sales calls and talking to people. And something that would come up from time to time is the, the company that would tell us, you know, we have like 20 customers worldwide, and that's our whole target audience. And, you know, maybe there might be 40 companies that exist and 20 of them are customers and, and that's it. So we don't need, you know, we're, we're in the data business. So we don't need you to identify more accounts for us. This is our whole audience, but we're okay with that because, mm -hmm. you know, we're in international shipping or something. It's a small world. Um, and that's, that's just the, the environment that, that they live in. Uh, I want to switch gears here a little bit, get back to uh, some um, beginning of the conversation type stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? about uh, who is Greg Powell? How did you get where you're at? What was, it, what was your path here? My favorite topic, me, no, <laughs> uh, kidding. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, you know, kind of out of undergrad, I was a history major and to be honest, didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, when I first uh, graduated. And so I, I kind of took on a bunch of different roles at different companies. Uh, one happened to be a startup um, in the dot-com 1.0 uh, experience and then decided that I wanted to try writing and, and kind of dabbled in a bunch of different, uh, dabbled in a bunch of different things prior to business school. What I started to realize was that the things that I enjoyed the most was kind of this weird mishmash of creativity, analytical thinking, strategic thinking, working on teams. And I was like, boy, where am I going to find where am I, I going to find a, a, you know, a discipline in a company where I can combine all of those things? And then I learned more about marketing. And I was like, ah, that's what I want to do. And so I went to business school and focused a lot on you know, finding jobs in marketing and the place that seemed at the time like the best place for me to get that experience, those strong marketing fundamentals, was Clorox. They were known mm -hmm. as you know, a really strong analytical you know, marketing consumer products company. And so I spent about five years there. And what I would say is that, you know, Clarks was going through a big transition at the time um, in understanding how to harness digital marketing. And what I learned is that, you know, and I, I learned it several fold at my time at Intuit is there's a lot of power behind really big ideas. And Clorox was really, really good at getting behind big, big ideas testing them and going to market with them. Right. A giant consumer them. brand. And that is all kind of product marketing, right? I mean, they have to come up with the initial is, yeah. concept. We have this totally. new yes. thing that's going to do something for your clothes, or I imagine they have a million kind of cleaning products and whatnot, but if somebody has to come up with the, you know, what, how are people supposed to feel about this? What are they supposed to think about it? What's that kind of tagline that's going to sell a bazillion of these? Exactly. Really similar product marketing in that regard. But, there, but the, to go after one of these big ideas in, at scale is like super powerful. These one of these big, big transcendent ideas that get not only behind the product that you've developed, but also behind the emotional side of what the consumer wants. And decision-making, you know, I don't care if it's B2B, if it's B2C, or for us, it's small business, which falls somewhere in between. There is a person making that decision and they have hopes and dreams just like everyone else and fears just like everyone else. Decision-making is emotional and big ideas can tap into those emotions. So I learned right. all of that at Clorox and then decided so that was going back to Clorox. That was kind of okay. like mad men-esque advertising, uh, 
coming up with that <laughs> that, yes. the, that kind of a pitch things or, or going back maybe no, so. some people recognize uh, maybe not a lot of listeners to the show but who's the boss was all that the, the woman in that was uh, had her own advertising agency and is always coming up with that what's that great line that's going to sell a bunch of toilet paper yeah totally so it was it wasn't it was bigger so the big ideas were bigger than just like the line you know like the catchphrase it was more like you know, it was really a strategy. Um, and what Clorox did really well and what they taught me was the power of a really big strategy that does tap into that emotional side. And you can bring it to life through a catchphrase or a line or something like that, or a 30 second ad um, or a PR campaign. But to really, really do it well, um, you've got to tap into those. I'll give you an example. So Clorox, you mentioned cleaning products. Well, they also own like a lot of other things you might not expect. Um, they own Hidden Valley Ranch, the salad dressing. And, um, and when I was there, the big insight that we had uncovered, I worked on this brand, was that kids, you know, moms were the ones, generally parents were buying the salad dressing because they wanted, generally speaking, they wanted their kids to eat more vegetables. And we found out <laughs> that when ki- we did a study and actually found out that when paired with salad dressing with ranch kids ate 27% more vegetables and so yeah, I eat like 200% more of everything if you douse it in ranch <laughs> that's, that's cheating come on yeah. so but the parents didn't care about the contents of the ranch bottle what they cared about was that the kids were eating the veggies uh, so, so you're not focusing on the take anything about the ranch other than they're eating more veg. They're that's exactly. an awesome example. It's consumer, which I hate on the show, but we'll yeah. give it a pass. It's an awesome example of product marketing. I think everything that we're trying to encapsulate here with yeah. the, it's, you're trying to sell ranch dressing, but you almost never mention the product. It's all exactly. about eating the vegetables exactly. with it, about the moms of the target, about the kids getting to eat the vegetables. Exactly. That's a, Sorry, exactly. I just wanted to. No, no. I just so want everybody to give you an applause right now. That is an awesome example of product. And work. that literally, that big idea lasted like five years. I mean, every year we came up with a new PR campaign. I wasn't on the business for five years, but I know that it was there like a year before I started, and and went on years after I left. After that, after I left that brand, even after I left Clorox, that they were still doing it. I mean, it might have actually been a decade long kind of big yeah. idea. I imagine that, that concept they could come back to a decade from now again, and it'll still work too. Totally. Because that core idea, like parents care so much about what their kids eat and they, they want to do what's right for their kids. And food is one of the ways that they express their love to their children and getting your kids to eat a healthy meal is so critical anyway. Yeah. So that those was baby carrots are going bad. I imagine if you, if you took one of those trays from the grocery store with all the vegetables in it and you set it out and one had the ranch in the middle and the other didn't, like they probably tried to sell those trays without ranch for a while and realized nobody's buying them. You got to have the dressing. Exactly. So that's an example of like a really big idea. And when I went to Intuit, what I found was I learned a, a different big lesson. I found that at the time Intuit didn't like, hadn't really embraced this idea of big ideas. Mm-hmm. but they, what they did really well is they trained managers and leaders. Um, and what I learned at, what I learned at Intuit is how to think end to end, you know, that marketing, your job as a marketer is not just to think about that one campaign you're delivering. Yes. You've got to nail that. You've got to think about the product. You've got to think about what people, how many people are going to call customer support based on this campaign and what they're going to ask about. You've got to think end to end entirely end to end about the, across the entire business that the best marketers can think that way 
and don't get too caught up in just like endlessly optimizing what they are narrowly responsible for that you've got to be able to think end to end into it right. did begin to embrace i'll have another big kind of example of a big idea um that uh that totally meets exactly what you were talking about with the parents and the ranch that you don't even need to talk about the ranch when you push this idea it will just naturally fall into the conversation what intuit did is uh so intuit big software company they own three three brands, I think they own three, they might own more since I left, they may have acquired more companies, <laughs> but the big three brands are QuickBooks, which is what I was working on, TurboTax and Mint, the personal finance app. Mm -hmm. And I was on the QuickBooks business and what they did so well, this is probably three years into my time there, is they realized that to build a really strong brand, um, we had to really go to bat for our customers. We had to go to bat for small businesses. And so the team put together a campaign where they donated a Super Bowl ad spot. I don't know if you remember this, a Super Bowl ad spot to a small business. And so there was a big social media campaign leading up to the Super Bowl where- That's a brilliant PR move as it well. Was so I mean, good. The commercial's still all about Intuit, but they're being able to get all this extra love and airtime all over the place because they're doing this thing that- Exactly. You know, to help out a small business and that- God, you look like such a great company when you totally. do that. And that's all people talk about is uh, and and, it's such a great, and even if the, if the commercial sucks, it's on the small business, not you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we actually paid for the, the non-working, you know, the production mm -hmm. because we couldn't just take this. I mean, I remember when I was there, it was like a coffee, coffee company, I forget the name of it, but it was a coffee company that won. And like they were based out of, I think Phoenix or something. And like, they didn't have a budget. They didn't have a hundred thousand dollars to put together like a Super right. Bowl level quality ad. And so we paid for that too. But that was so great because, you know, and this I think is important about brand building is that, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, you know, discussion that we chat that we were having is that really good brands are authentic and people are searching for authenticity. But I think in order to be really truly authentic, there's a certain level of like sacrifice or investment that needs to come with that. Like the brand needs to actually like truly go to bat for their customers in a meaningful way. So in this right. case Intuit, like went to bat for small businesses in it. And, and uh, you know, they spent however many millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad. Like that's a real investment. That's not just posting some customer stories right. on your website, which I think can be very effective. Basically, that if, is if like you're a real the, sacrifice. Um, if you're the town sheriff, you have to actually show up in the middle of the street. Yeah, you can't just be the sheriff. All you have to you have to walk the walk and all that kind of stuff. You totally want to be authentic, and that's a really big thing now because we've been in marketing so unauthentic for so long. <laughs> yeah, with all the mass marketing that the internet brought around, that um. Yeah, you got you got to actually show up with something connected to your brand. That was very brand connected um, type type of a thing to do. So just a stunt doesn't just work. It has to be that's something right. that's actually really makes sense. And I guess you're saying that's all has to do with product marketing. So when you see PR stunts go wrong, they probably just didn't involve the product marketing people enough. Yeah, or it was like thought of just as a stunt, you know, mm -hmm. and it wasn't. It didn't align with their brand. We're starting to meld. I think brand and product marketing, which I think are related, but uh, this is probably a little bit more on the branding side, but um, yeah, I think it doesn't, you know, it, it comes across as fake and inauthentic 
when it's clear that it is just a stunt. And those can be funny, but, you know, funny or captivating for like a minute. But I would say they don't have as much lasting value if they don't connect back to your brand and to your product and who you are trying to be. Who you are as a company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, they, if they aren't naturally coming out of who you are as a company. So probably PR stunts should originate with the product marketing team. And then you're, then you're yes. going to be pretty sure that it's actually coming from that sense of, of who you are as a company. That's right. Product marketing or brand, depending on if that's one and the same, like it is in our company, you know, our team, my team focuses on both um, and really brings that brand to life. Or it could, yeah, it could also come from product marketing, thinking about, well, exactly who are we targeting? Exactly what pain is it? Are they feeling? And how does this idea, you know, it all speak to them. We know who they are. How does this speak to them? How does this cut through the clutter and speak to them? That's There's big. this idea of like sacrifice or investment in that, that to, in order to make it really come, come across. Right. As authentic. I want to dig more into this authenticity and the storytelling, that kind of thing. Um, we got to cut to break right now. This has really just flown by this first half, but uh, we're going to, we're going to jump off to break. And then when we come back, we'll get more into the product marketing with Greg Powell of Funbox and, uh, and we'll dig into the, this authenticity I don't even know what to call it. I wouldn't say an issue, <laughs> but this, this new um, great uh, re-emergence of authenticity mattering again. So we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast. Hi, this is Daniel Voss from GoToWebinar. I'm the chief webinar wrangler here at GoToWebinar, where we're the largest webinar platform in the world with more than 50,000 customers and 60 million people attending webinars on the platform every year. If you want to come check out GoToWebinar, go to gotowebinar.com and take out one of our free trials and give the product a spin. All right, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to the If You Market podcast. I've got Greg Powell on with me. We're talking about product marketing. Greg, before the break, I, I mentioned uh, I wanted to dig into the authenticity and storytelling and product marketing, but, but wait, there's more. Before we get to that, we've been just going off on this product marketing stuff so much, I haven't got to cover the basics here. Can you tell me a little bit about Funbox, what you guys do over there, kind of what your company is, what your, what your product is? Yeah, absolutely. So Funbox is a fintech company. Fintech, just for listeners that might not be familiar with that term, is financial technology. Uh, and we've developed the first machine learning enabled business capital platform designed to accelerate B2B commerce at scale. And so what that means is that we have this platform and we're taking the power of machine learning to really quickly assess the creditworthiness of small to medium sized businesses. We can do that as fast as 45 seconds. If wow. you're approved, if the business is approved, um, we can give them access for credit on demand uh, up to $100,000. And the platform is extremely flexible. And so one of the big ways that we go to market is with partners. So the platform is very flexible, so it can, it can be embedded into the small business's uh, typical workflows and a partner workflow so that they're finding credit at that moment of need. Wow. So you can have, you have an immediate need, whether you're a small business that's, you know, needs to buy some equipment or has an event or want to launch a particular marketing, or maybe you got a product launch and you need a product marketer on your team. You need to be able to fund him. Um, that kind of thing. They can go on your, uh, on your guy's site. I imagine fill out some basic yep. info. They, they just say, here's our company name and you guys tell them they, uh, how it is or how's it work. Yeah. So what the way it works is um, for the, for the business owner, 
they fill out some basic information and they connect either their business bank account, their accounting software. Um, if they're using us to pay a vendor, they can also submit um, bank, bank statements. Mm -hmm. And really, really quickly, like I said, it's in as fast as 45 seconds, we can make a credit decision uh, because of all the AI that we've been building and the data that we've collected over the past six years. And so we can make a really fast decision. The, the process of applying you know, compared to a bank is extremely easy. Uh, you don't have to fill out a famous. ton of forms because you're connecting the bank account. It just kind of looks at your banking history. It does. It looks at the transactions. Mm. What we're interested in is, um, you know, is underwriting the business and understanding how that business is performing, understanding business health. And so we're looking at the transactions and the accounting software. We're looking at a number of different things, including invoices and other things like that. Right. I guess ultimately can and will these guys pay back this loan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We look at two things. There's two primary things that we need to screen for. The first one is, as you said, can and will they pay back the loan? And the second one is fraud. Of course, everyone deals with mm -hmm. fraud, but um, we've gotten really, really good because we have six years worth of data and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of customers who've connected to the platform. Because of that, we, you know, we, we, we have a lot of history and we've continued to improve our machine learning models to the point where our loss rates are in the low single digits and fraud is really, it, obviously it's always a concern, but it's something that um, we have a good handle on. So to be able to fund somebody that fast safely, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so connecting that back to product marketing, what's the product marketing look like for you guys for, for Funbox? Yeah. So my team, I think an easier way to describe it would be like, what does my team do? And we, we really do two different things. We handle product marketing and go to market. And then we also handle narrative building. Um, and that's kind of where the brand and the product marketing side of my background kind of combine into this one team. And so on the, on the go to market side, we have product marketing kind of driving and quarterbacking um, the, the go to market strategy and also the insights behind the go-to-market strategy and the, and, the, and the roadmap. And then we also have folks that help bring that to life in different channels, like partners, for example. Um, so I have a partner marketer on my team. In terms of what we say, how we um, talk about the company to a variety of different audiences, I have my, the narrative side of my team. And so that's content and social, PR and copywriting. And so um, all of those things kind of you know, depending on the audience. So we will help with the pitches to partners, sometimes even maybe investors, um, help with certainly the messaging that goes out in, uh, to face small businesses and the merchants that we, that we speak to. And then also we even help with uh, the messaging and the storytelling behind, behind the messaging for job seekers as well. So depending on who the audience is, like my team gets very involved in adjusting that story of who Funbox is and what we do. Um, so it's relevant to that audience. That's interesting. Um, I've been talking a lot recently about that, who a company is, what they do, and, and the, the audience they're targeting and how technologies nowadays are enabling companies to really uh, be everything to everybody, essentially, um, in, a, in a bad way sometimes, if they're not careful, where they can say, mm -hmm. hey, this audience, this is who we're going to be. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. And this audience, this is who we are. And I guess... I was seeing that as this brand archetype where the people are saying, we don't have a brand archetype. We have a brand archetype for each individual target and what's going to be whatever they want us to be kind of. And I don't mm -hmm. like that concept, but when you're talking about ICO, there's, 
really you can have an overriding brand archetype and then you can fragment out from below that. So if you're going out and telling small businesses, Hey, we're all about small businesses. That's, that's our focus. That's what we care about. But then you're going to enterprises and saying, Hey, we're all about enterprises. You would have a little bit of a fractured brand there and you're kind of manipulating the audience. But Mm -hmm. when you're focusing on the small businesses and then individual segments, because I imagine the funding is different for different verticals within small business a small factory has a much different need than, you know, a small services company and, and probably different um, ways of analyzing their credit worthiness yep. and everything as well. So you can, you can create those different profiles that you're coming at in different targets, you know, going back to the ranch dressing, you're targeting moms about the ranch dressing. It's one thing, but you know, maybe when you're, when you're targeting uh, a different uh, demo, you might be focusing on its use with Buffalo wings or something like mm-hmm. that yeah. um, versus vegetables, but totally. that's, it's still who you are as a company. Yes. Um, it's that, just that, a different there's, target there's a, audience. There's a core brand promise that mm-hmm. doesn't change no matter who you're talking to. And, um, and the, the story, the way that you tell that story, the way that that, <clears throat> that brand promise comes to life might change slightly depending on who the audience is, right? Like if we're talking to small businesses, I'm not going to play up the machine learning angle as much, right? I'm going to talk about right. the, the benefit to them, which is the fact that, hey, you can get a really fast credit decision from us. That's if, an awesome. So you guys have the machine learning, but you don't need to highlight that, um, highlight the side of, or the, the effect of it, what it's going to do for them. That's right. We talk about the benefit to them. Mm-hmm. What's the benefit? Well, you don't need to give us a ton of information. You get a decision that's really fast. You get a user interface that's extremely simple um, using, using plain down-to-earth language. You know, so there are a lot of things, and, and you get pricing that's fair, um, pricing that's transparent. And so all of those things are like embedded in our, in, our, in, our brand, in our brand strategy, but different elements of that brand strategy come out depending on, the, depending on who, we're, who we're talking to. So, for example, if we were to talk to a partner or investors, we would absolutely talk about the machine learning. Small businesses, right. no, because it's not as relevant to them. Partner really cares about it because it's one of the things that makes us different compared to some of the other companies they might be talking to. I think uh, we had an episode uh, a while back. It's uh, episode number 33 with Patrick McFadden. Um, the title of that episode was, Are You Solving Problems or Pushing a Product? Yeah. And that, that was about, um, you know, we covered some product marketing and that specific topic of, you know, make sure you're talking about solving the problem that you're solving primarily in, in, in that aspect. So if anybody wants to go back and listen to another episode on product marketing um, and you haven't heard that one already, that's a, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, this is getting right back to what I wanted to talk about after the break, the authenticity aspect mm-hmm. and the, you know, having an authentic brand and everything branches out from there. But I guess, you know, you don't do the product marketing once it's, you have a new segment, you're going to target them in a new, even for each campaign, it kind of seems like you need to pull back to the product marketing and, and come out from there, from who you are as a brand and then connect out from there. Mm-hmm. Can you speak right. to authenticity a little bit, storytelling, how that all ties together? Yeah, definitely. So I think we, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think one of the important things about authenticity is that first, one, that, that you're not just chest thumping and talking about yourself right? You're doing something that genuinely is in the service of who you say you serve, right? So it's understanding. So it does come back to product marketing and understanding who you serve and understanding what their pain is and how you are in a position to solve that pain. So, um, you know, 
And then you can bring that to life through storytelling, through testimonials, through a lot of different things. Um, you know, a company that I think does a good job at this is MailChimp, actually. They tell stories really, really well. Oftentimes, you know, we get, you see MailChimp, you know, videos or something like that. It almost doesn't even mention MailChimp at all, but it talks about people that use MailChimp and the stories themselves are so compelling. And by sharing those stories and by celebrating those, those business owners, MailChimp has become, you know, an authentic champion of those say startups or small business owners um, because they're out there really pushing their name out and not necessarily pushing the MailChimp name out. So I think they do a really good job. That's one example. So but kind yeah, of their brand is their customers. They're putting them forward. A lot of times it is. Yes, they've got the monkey and they do these little giveaways with the, uh, with the monkeys and stuff like that. But, uh, um, but, but they do a really good job pushing uh, customer stories as well. The it's customer stories is the, here's what we do for you. It's the, the problem we solve, kind of highlighting those, those specific mm -hmm. problems. So if you're a brand marketer and you come into a company and you find out the product sucks, or I'm not, sorry, not a brand, a, a product marketer, mm -hmm. and, and the product sucks, maybe you should find that out in the interview process so you don't have to take the job. Um, mm -hmm. Is there some, I mean, what should you do? Should you look for a new job? Um, or what do you do at that point? I think you have to get a seat at the table with the product team and pound your fist on the table and say, we're not getting the job done right now. Here is who I think our target is and here's what they want. And this is where the gaps exist with our current product in uh, the gaps between what they want and what we're delivering. And right. so I think that type, what I see a lot of is that a lot of product management organizations, um, not all, but, but a lot, they think a lot about the existing customer population. And I think that's actually totally appropriate if they have a, product marketing counterpart because they should be thinking about the existing customer population cares about because they should be paying a heck of a lot of attention to what they just launched and whether or not people are adopting it, whether or not they're happy and what the net promoter score is, et cetera, where a good product marketer can complement that skill set is going and saying, okay, so we know how we're doing with existing customers. Here are all of our, what Peter Drucker would say, called non-customers. Here are all of our prospects. And here's what we need to go and build to go get them. And that's how we grow. Right. Um, you know, so we kind can, of what we, problem do they have that we could be solving that we're either not, or we're not highlighting directly to them that we solve this. Exactly. Problem. It could be a positioning issue where the product actually does solve the problem, but it's not outlined in a way that's clear to that population. Right. A in product which case, marketer hasn't mapped it out yet. Exactly. Could be. Um, and then, uh, or it could be, you know, we're targeting this one population, we're doing, say, a good job, or maybe not, uh, targeting that population, serving that population, but there's this other population that if we do this, if we build these things, we can, we can serve them extremely well. So, yeah. So if you want to hit a new target audience, you think you should be able to, or you're very, uh, let's say, adjacent to with your product, um, you really need to get a product marketer in to look at it and figure out how you're going to hit that, and maybe even to, to then go back to the product and say, Hey, in order to do this audience, we need to make these adjustments for this, for these people. I'm biased, but 100% I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's product marketing consultants out there too, or I mean, you yeah. might be able to hire uh, Greg on the side um, <laughs> that will uh, allow you to look at, Hey, you've got a great product for this segment, but there's a, 
you know, you could have more segments that you could be killing it in as well if you, you know, built a whole new line to target these people for your product. And sometimes it might not even be a whole new line. Sometimes it literally is repositioning. Or a new messaging, yeah. A new yeah. message and a new position, a new way of framing what you do so that it's more relevant to that audience. And I've seen that happen a number of times and, you know, where it, it's actually like, you know, uh, extremely effective. Um, and, you know, calling it one thing versus calling it another thing, like getting that clear positioning down, all of a sudden the business just like jumps forward. Um, and right. you start tapping into a new audience because of that. Um, so yeah, for sure. Okay, can you, uh, let me see, I want to give some people some takeaways. We're flying through everything so fast here. I want to make sure we, we get some, some useful, I mean, there's a lot of useful talk here, but some very specific stuff in people's hands. Can you give me a couple examples of uh, kind of do's and don'ts for the listeners? Sure. So I think the do's are start with the who, deeply, deeply understand them, uh, you know, understand both what they want, what their pain is, how they run their business. Um, you know, if it's more of an enterprise, you know, we do small business. I'm, I'm intimately familiar with small business, but if it's enterprise, what are those personas? Who are you going to have to convince, um, in your, in that, in that partner organization that, uh, who are those different personas? What do they care about? Cause at the end of the day, it's all people making decisions. And oftentimes decisions are emotional. Uh, in fact, almost always they're emotional, like more than half of what people um, what people consider when making a decision is based on emotion and not on logic. So right. really understand what their needs are, what their fears are, what their hopes are. So I'd say start with the who. Second, make sure that whatever you're building um, aligns with your brand, right? So what does your brand stand for? And then have a tough decision. Should we build this? How should we build this? So it's aligned with our brand. Then align all of those insights with the product team. Right? Make sure that you earn yourself a seat at the table with the product organization and start influencing that roadmap. The best way to do that is not with, um, is with hard insights. It's not with, I see a lot of marketers kind of lose credibility with PM because everything's based on their gut feel mm -hmm. and they need to come to the table with data. They need to come to the data with real conversations presented in a way that's digestible for the product organization. That's how you earn a seat at the table. So earn a seat at the table and then align with the product organization, then serve as the point person for go to market product marketing, you know, has all of this knowledge from, you know, the, their time uh, advising the, the, the PM organization, make sure that that cascades through to all parts of the organization. That's all of the go to market functions like marketing, sales, business development, but also, other organizations that are customer facing like customer support, like they should be involved in this. We, for example, I would call this a best practice. I've seen other companies do this. I lead a biweekly meeting with, um, with sales, biz dev, marketing, customer support. Um, yeah, those are all, all of those organizations. Every two weeks we map out our calendar, our go to market calendar. We talk about what's on the product roadmap. We talk about major marketing pushes so that the sales team isn't surprised. We talk about all of these things um, in that meeting to make sure that everyone's aligned on what we're saying, how we're going to market, where we're spending our money, where our resources are, are, are going, and what the big priorities are. 
That way right. everyone's organized. Everyone's that goes aligned. back to the, how often should you reconsider your product marketing? And you're saying if you have a product marketer in house kind of constantly, <laughs> every oh, meeting. I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't consider that a reevaluation. I would consider that like just good housekeeping to make sure that everyone's wow. on the same page. Like All right, that right. to me. Yeah. So that to me is just sort of like when you, when you're launching a new feature, for example, make sure everyone knows how to talk about that feature, but don't, that doesn't mean you're, you're reinventing how you talk about the entire offering. Okay. You don't tear everything down start no. over again and say, let's do something new. Now you're just, you're just saying, let's just stay on top of the tweaks and adjustments kind of. Yes. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Um, yeah. And then lastly, I would say create a messaging hierarchy so that you understand so that everyone understands like what you're talking about and how you should talk about it, what the key benefits are, um, and then follow up and measure results. That to me is the cascade of things that are sort of what I've seen as best practices. I would say a big mistakes, like the don'ts on the don't side of the list that people make um, are product marketing is kind of just the people who write stuff. You know, um, they are, you know, copy on the website. That's the product marketer's job. Now that could be one of the product marketer's jobs. Right. But, they may oversee um, that, but that has to come from somewhere. Bigger. Exactly. And it should come from a sense of deep understanding of who you're serving. Another, another pitfall that I've seen is that product marketing is just sort of the, the launch factory, you know, and doesn't have that role in the, doesn't have that seat at the table with the PMs. And when that happens, they are handed things, you know, something gets, the phrase you always hear is this got thrown over the fence to me and they don't know what it is. They don't know why the team built it, but they know that the team spent a lot of time and money on developing it. And so therefore there needs to be some big marketing campaign behind it. Well, wait a second. Why? Right. Who cares? You know, like maybe it was actually something that was really important to do some backend infrastructure that actually the customer doesn't care about at all. We may have made a big investment behind it, but no, we should not launch this. This should right. happen. It should go live and customers should experience the benefit of having that new improved infrastructure technology. But you don't necessarily need to talk about it in an email to your existing mm. customer population. So it's like a software update or something like that. You don't do a big product launch every time you do a software update necessarily. No. It just automatically pushes. But yeah. maybe you add a certain feature or you release it. Sometimes you do. So it seems like you're saying the product marketing person needs to be involved sometimes in the, like when you're thinking about developing a new product, don't make it and then give it to them. It's like making it and then giving it to your audience. It's too late at that point. They kind of need to be in the development of it or should we even develop this product? Like yep. bring your product marketer in there and they might tell you, yeah, even if it's a great product, it can't be sold or marketed and here's why. Um, let's, let's make a, a different or, version of it or whatnot. Or it fundamentally doesn't align with our brand. Or, or yeah, oh yeah, it's not who we are. <laughs> it's not who we are. And yeah. maybe it's going after a different population that you know what? That's a big shift and we're going to become, you know, kind of you mentioned you know, being sort of schizophrenic. It's sort of like you don't want to be that brand that like you're, you you know, the, the the more audiences you start targeting, the more you have to divide up your budget in mm -hmm. order to reach them and your voice gets a little bit diluted and that becomes very challenging. Right, so not not being everything to everyone at the same time. I guess you don't see Subaru making monster trucks. Right, it would be kind of off-brand for them. Yeah, you know, a big mistake that I made, just getting personal for a second, um, 
that, oh, good. That was my next question. Tell that, me somewhere you messed up. <laughs> I, okay. A big mistake I made was when I was at Intuit, um, I was leading global product marketing for the small business segment. And a big mistake that I made was thinking that it had to be centralized out of Mountain View, California. You know, that somehow we were going to develop these best practices. Um, we were going to develop these best practices for product marketing and then roll those out to the different markets that we were serving, like the UK or Australia or France or, you know, other places like that. Different and cultures, basically. Totally. And different contexts for the customers. And that was, that was not a good approach. We had to adjust that approach. Yeah, we had to adjust that approach. I won't go into like who got pissed off because I, I made that <laughs> call. Thing. But like, what's like, the Super Bowl, mate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh. Totally right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like that, it wasn't it wasn't quite that egregious. But it was sort of I had this idea that like we really have to get good at product marketing before we can focus on what each region needs. And I think if you're going to go into different regions, you have to have a, a product marketer embedded in that region because otherwise, it just doesn't. It just you're going to be, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, um, you're not going to have that empathy. You're not going to understand the context in which those people are making decisions. You're going to miss the mark. Right. And I learned that That's the hard way. One of the things you said there in the do's is understand your audience. Like you really can't yeah. understand your audience worldwide necessarily. You have to delegate it out and give you have the to. power locally. You do. You have to empower. That's the best way to put it. And I was trying to kind of build this power product marketing powerhouse out of Mountain View, and maybe we could travel out to these different regions and learn really quickly and then come back. No, it did not work. Right. Uh, it started working when we said, all right, we need to hire someone in the UK, in London. We need to hire someone in Sydney. Then it was sort of, then, then, then it, it, it improved a lot. So that right. was a big mistake I made. You're thinking I know what I'm doing, but you're missing one piece of the puzzle there and, uh, and trying to force it on the, the audiences. Totally. All right. Anywhere people can go, do you have any, any books you'd recommend? People want to learn more about product marketing. So, um, yeah, a friend of mine, Jill Soley, wrote a book called Beyond Product that I think is awesome. And it, it talks about more than just product marketing. It talks about sort of marketing end to end. But I think it's important that people early or even later in their careers really understand how the whole fits together so that they can understand what value they add. And I think Jill's book does an excellent job at that called Beyond Product. And yeah, there is a section on product marketing in there, which I think is good. I also think that there are sections on performance marketing, corporate marketing, and other disciplines that are also really good. And I, yeah, like I said, I, I think it's important for a product marketer or any marketer to understand how the entire organism functions in order to really understand where they add value. All right. So it covers the product marketing a lot, but some other tangential marketing areas as well. It does. Yeah. I'll that, put that I, in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. You, you can look that up there. I was going to say, other than that, like there's actually a surprising lack of like really good high quality product marketing resources, which I think is one of the reasons why there are so many different definitions of what product marketing is. You know, you talk to people at different companies, everyone's got a slightly different description of what product marketing does. Oftentimes it's a catch-all, you know, it's like, Oh, the product marketer kind of does a little bit of everything. You know, they're kind of generalists. I think you can do that, especially at a young company. Sure. You can have a product marketer who does that, but at some point 
you need roles and responsibilities. And I think there is a good way to do product marketing. I think that I outlined what one model looks like, but there's a surprise. I think one of the reasons why that's true in tech is because there aren't a lot of good resources on product marketing. Um, and so when you ask me like, Oh, what do you, what do you recommend? I would say like, I've looked and there are some people that do it. Maybe they have a blog here or there and they publish a little bit on product marketing. I'm like, Oh yeah, that little bit is makes sense. There's not like, the Bible of product marketing. I don't think that exists. Right. Or at so we least got, I haven't seen it. We got, you mentioned the, the book beyond product. We got that book. Mm-hmm. She's got a good niche there. So she there's does. not a whole lot of, a lot of stuff in there. And then people can just listen to this podcast over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This has become the Bible. <laughs> those are, those are two sources, people. And like you said, there's a lot of stuff out there online. It seems like it's kind of the glue that holds a lot of things together. So in one sense, you don't notice the glue in something because it's just mm-hmm. holding everything together and unless mm-hmm. you don't have it and then you wonder yeah. why everything fell apart. Yeah. Um, so I can see why it's, you know, hey, this, they just have their fingers a little in here, a little in there. Um, but especially startups, I would say, really need to look at this. Make sure you're not making that thing that sounds sexy. Like, I know it seems like a fun idea. Joke about it at a party, but don't go invest a bunch of time, money, energy into building it if if it doesn't actually hold up to these kind of rules with solving a problem for, for people who are actually interested in, and something you can actually launch and, and put out there. Let me see anything else you want to, uh, you want to put out uh, you want to say about product marketing before we wrap it up here. Let's see. Um, I think I have talked a lot about product marketing. I think I've said probably the highlights. Yeah. I think, I think I, people are probably tired product, of hearing so, me talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anything other than, uh, so people can, you know, go out, try to learn more about product marketing, wrap their heads around it. There's that book, there's this podcast. What about things to help in product marketing? What kind of, uh, what kind of text do you use? Is, is there any MarTech stack for this? Any, any type of, uh, I would say there's not like a MarTech stack the way there is for like lifecycle marketing or something like that or content. Um, but there are, there are some different tools and they overlap with, the, generally speaking, I would say that like tools in the productivity um, space or, or collaboration space are really good. The one that we use um, is Asana. We love it because when you think about product marketing, you were, you were calling it the glue between a lot of different organizations. I right. think that's true. Um, you know, you can either create a bunch of different spreadsheets where you're keeping track of all these initiatives and you know posting them to different you know share sites or whatever, or you can have a tool that helps people stay in the loop at all times. So we use Asana, and we've got biz dev, we've got salespeople, we've got some you know developers and PMs uh, using all of that so that we can that we can keep a calendar and we can keep people informed as to when things are going to go live and the status of different initiatives because as that quarterback one of the many hats that you kind of have to wear is um, project management. You know, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's no more than like say five, 10% of what I do, but you've got to keep everyone informed on what's going on. And one of the best ways to do that is through one of these uh, productivity tools. You know, some companies use Jira, um, you know, and, and I've heard of product marketers using Jira to create Jira tickets and calendars and those Kanban boards. You can use those. Um, you know, some people like to use Trello. There are a bunch of tools out there like that, but I'd they, say they do very similar things, but like one, this one's designed specifically for the product people with Jira. And then this one yeah. is more for the marketing people with Asana. Um, so I know we've used both of those internally uh-huh. here and it's kind of a, oops, part of this conversation is on one and part on the other. And the technical people are using 
the yeah. Jira and the marketing side uh, is using Asana and you got to get them, get everybody on the same platform, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we try and get as many of the key stakeholders involved onto Asana because it works really well for us, but other people use others. I've used a, a few of them and that's the one that we like the most. So now we become Asana addicts. An Asana <laughs> house. Yep. Yeah. We use it for everything. Fantastic. All right. We'll have more information here on the show notes. I think if anybody out there has any resources they want to send to us, we we will share those as well. I would love to see some sort of a product marketing roadmap. You see this with a lot of other areas where they say, Hey, you know, we used to do this waterfall strategy and development, and now there's the agile development. If anybody has any sort of a structure for product marketing and, and looping around on, on things and, and that kind of stuff. That would be great to uh, great to see. Share that with us, and we'll put that up on the on the show notes as well. But if you want to see more on Funbox, uh, that's uh, Funbox.com. Can you say a little bit again about what Funbox does for people? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a B two B credit platform that makes applying for and getting a credit decision really really fast for small business owners. The platform that we built is extremely flexible, so it can be embedded into partner workflows uh, very simply. And because of that, we offer credit at the moment of need because we can be embedded in different workflows so that as the need comes up, a small business owner can apply for and get a credit decision extremely quickly. And I guess I would say uh, in 15 minutes, you could probably save money on your car insurance or you could get $100,000 for your business. <laughs> what you got to yeah. do? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Again, check out the show notes. Uh, more information there on Greg Powell on uh, that's at uh, ifyoumarket.com. Uh, please share the podcast on on social media for us. Um, give us review on iTunes. That uh, that always helps. We love seeing those. And then uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and uh, Greg Powell of Funbox, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with product marketing, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.